Hey everybody, I'm Greg Soul, and this is Why Am I, a podcast where I talk to interesting people and try and trace a path to where they find themselves today. My guest this go-around is Alex Hajar. He's an interesting mix of traffic engineer and musician. Uh, it's always interesting to me when I see someone who is technical but also very artistic. He's also a host of a fantastic podcast called Social Animals that explores how people experience friendship in their lives and the stories that go along with it. He's got an awesome voice and an easy rapport with his guests. At any rate, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Alex. Alex Hajar, thank you for joining me on the Why Am I podcast. Oh, great. Thank you for having me on. I'm uh, interested to be here. And uh, I really loved your episode with Rocky Powell. Um, and yeah, she like, uh, obviously she hooked us up. She's super cool. I love talking to her. And uh, she came on my podcast and I trust her word. Uh, so yeah, so that's why I got in touch. And yeah, thanks again yeah. for having me on. Rock and roll. I love how right out of the gate you start name dropping. Let's see how it's going to be. I have to. It's all about... <laughs> That's the thing. So my, like, I know this isn't an advertisement really for mine, but I, my podcast is about friendship and I love shouting out my friends. So, and I'll do it every chance. So, All right. well, I'm, I'm going to save my gushing about your podcast for later because it will come up and I want it to flow in line. Cause I don't, unlike yours, which is well curated and edited, I don't edit anything. <laughs> I really just do audio cleanup, chop the beginning and end off and what's in the shows in the show, man. So. That's how it goes. I, you know what? I respect that. And I feel like my life would be way easier if I did that. <laughs> uh, but sometimes it's just like I'm a little bit neurotic and I got to edit oh. it. So, I, And I respect it. And those why, that's why your podcast is uh, gaining in popularity. And mine is, um, you know, just pretty much the same all the time because <laughs> <laughs> you're actually putting time and effort into it. Uh, for oh me, it's, it's hard enough just to find people and then convince them to come and talk to me. Uh, so I don't have any energy left after that. I'm, I'm, I'm done, but fair play. Let's, it is uh, tough. let's start in the normal fashion. So you and I mm -hmm. are standing in line somewhere. I'm feeling like, cause I did a little research on, you do a lot of transportation stuff. You and I are at the DMV. I don't know if you guys have the equivalent up there, but it's kind of this place uh, yeah. where you go and you sit and you contemplate your decisions in life. Um, <laughs> and why you find mm -hmm. yourself here and how one day you may be liberated. Um, and, uh, so we're sitting there striving a conversation because they have terrible Wi-Fi, so we can't watch our videos like we want to. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we both forgot to put podcasts on our phone, which we both know would never actually happen. There's always <laughs> podcasts on your phone, but always, yeah. I tell you who I am and a little bit about me and now it's your turn to reciprocate Alex. So who are you, bud? Yeah, I'm, uh, Alex Hajar. I'm like a Canadian dude. I'm 36, I think. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, like you said, I do transportation stuff. It's funny you mentioned the DMV. So like we've heard about the DMV, uh, and we kind of have, we have something similar here. So we have the ministry of transportation. So Sweet. I'm a public service worker and, uh, I work in, um, actually work in planning, but I work in uh, yeah, transportation specific area. So I sort of, uh, comment on, uh, planning proposals uh, and development proposals and stuff like that uh, for building, you know, neighborhoods and commercial sites and things like that. Um, that's what I do for my day job. And it's 
not the most exciting job. Oh, it sounds sexy as uh, hell. What are you talking about? Right? Yeah, imagine. <laughs> like, at a party, I am the life of the party. I'm getting the vapors over statistic. here. <laughs> Woo, slow down. Slow <laughs> yeah. down. Do you guys know about pavement markings or what? <laughs> um, yeah, so, but, like, I've played bass guitar for, uh, since, well, you know, since I was in high school. I travel as much as I possibly can um because i think it's the spice of life mm. and um and yeah i just kind of like it's it's hard because the last two years obviously has been weird for everybody mm. so it's hard to <clears throat> you know i've tried to work on myself and i've tried to be productive but i don't know if i've any if i've done too many things that remind me of who i am in the last two years just hmm. because of we've been locked down for so long uh in my city we were one of the longest lockdown cities you know in in the world uh, in terms of covid so it's been a lot of time with with just myself and working from home and things like that so but i'm starting to go out more now i was out last night for a sh for a show a concert uh that my friend was putting on and um Getting back to normal, so to speak, is, yeah, going to concerts, hearing music, being among other people, enjoying, um, yeah, live shows and things like that. So, um, yeah, musical, I guess. I'm passionate about food. Um, I'm kind of geeky, I guess. Uh, I love, like, Doctor Who and Star Trek <laughs> and uh, and, and sci-fi. I read a lot of sci-fi books, and I'm a big reader generally. I don't read fast. I just read a lot. Um, yeah, I think that sums me up a bit. Yeah, I would say that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's a that's a lot about a single person. And I noticed you forgot to say that you're a podcaster. I am a podcaster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know it's... we said it a second ago, but <laughs> but we hadn't met yet. Yeah. At that point, we hadn't met, so it didn't count. Yeah, I feel like I've given you way more information than I would give someone if I was at a DMV. I wouldn't be like I'm all this stuff. I'd be like. Leave me alone. Um, but <laughs> well, odds are they probably be... are looking at you funny and they smell like cabbage. So it's probably not the kind of person you want to have a conversation yeah, with. You're anyway. probably right. Yeah. You're probably right. Most likely. All um, right, man. Well, that's interesting. So you said that you were Canadian first. Why is why is that an important thing? If we're sitting at the DMV, shouldn't I assume you're Canadian because we're going to be in Canada? <laughs> I'm getting a new license. I'm moving away from Canada. Um yeah, I don't know. It's it's uh it's a funny identity to have, especially now. There's been a lot of uh you know, a lot of talk and a lot of protests at how Canada has a huge role in like colonialism and uh white supremacy and things like that. Hmm. So uh we've we you know, we had for you know, a handful of weeks we had a big trucker protest and stuff in, in uh, Ottawa and or in our, you know, country's capital. And um and they were all waving flags and saying really, you know, anti, uh, anti-vaccine rhetoric, anti-mandates rhetoric and all this. So, you know, I mean, you guys have all heard it yeah. as well and stuff. So, but they're waving Canadian flags and alongside Canadian flags, for some reason they've got, um, oh, what's that flag? They use it down. Sorry. I don't mean any offense. Sorry. The Confederate flag. Right. Um, and alongside that, there's Trump flags and there's don't tread on me flags and some, <laughs> and a couple people had swastikas. So interesting. It's, it's yeah. Yeah. And, smorgasbord, and, uh, a buffet of interesting things. So, yeah. And I, and 
just you know personally i try to respect um indigenous people and their history and things like that right. you know i try to read more about it so it's difficult it's difficult these days i think identifying as canadian and being proud of you know the things you're supposed to in quotes be proud of like the you know i see the flag now and i associate it with ignorance rather than um as any sort of national pride and i i mean personally i don't really like nationalism at all i think it's kind of toxic um and i'll cite anti-flag for that you know the band anti-flag uh, as a punk band from back in the day um and they sort of influenced me into the whole like uh you know global community and things like that but uh i think i'm getting off track here it's it's i you know i've i'm thankful that i exist in in canada but i don't think this is the center of the universe. And I think people lose track here sometimes and they think that this is the only place like, oh, I'm, we have universal health care. We're not the only country that has it. We have one of the best qualities of life. And it's like, so do a lot of other countries, you know? So I think sometimes there's a pressure to stay here. And in my experience, I have moved abroad. And I think that other places are equally good to live in or better. Um, so even though I'm thankful to be Canadian and I'm thankful to live here, I, it's not necessarily the best place in the world. Um, but I do like to make that distinction, I guess, because when I went to live in England, I would, you know, meet new people. We didn't have family or friends there. We just moved there on our own, uh, by ourselves. So when I would meet people, their first assumption because of my accent is oh, you're American. And so it like your gut reaction, you're like, no. <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, because I think like an American, you know, conversely, if they were like, oh, are you Canadian? They were, they'd be like, no, I'm American. Right. So uh, it, I, we have the same knee jerk reaction. We're just like, no, because we don't you don't want to be confused by it either for whatever reason. Um, so it, but it would happen all the time. So the thing is like, I'm Canadian, I'm Canadian. Uh, and they, they would always try and save face. They were like, oh, yeah, I could tell you're a lot quieter. <laughs> um, and I was like, I don't know what that's supposed to mean, but okay. Uh, so anyways, yeah, it's important to me, I guess that, yeah, I was born here and that, uh, I've been lucky enough to exist in a place that does have for now, uh, things like, yeah, universal healthcare and, and, uh, and other sort of like good bennies for, for living here. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I had a little story about being accused of being Canadian and it was more than once. And it was when oh. uh, my wife and I went to Australia for a couple of weeks for a friend of mine's wedding. Um, okay. pretty much everybody we ran into kept asking us, are you Canadian? Are you Canadian? And after like the fourth time I was like, well, I don't sound, I mean, I don't sound anything like a Canadian, like, you know, I mean, obviously you're like, it's here we can tell pretty distinctly. And I was like, well, what makes you think I'm Canadian? And they said, oh, it's because you're so polite. And I was like, oh. oh. So, <laughs> so it's nice you, for us to hear. Yeah, if you're an ass, yeah. <laughs> you're an American. And if you're polite, you're Canadian. And I was like, oh, well, fair enough. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's probably, you know, I mean, of what the people they see, that's their determination. I was like, well, yeah, there you are. The thing is, right, I've, I've, been, I've been to the States a few times and people there are incredibly nice. Yeah nicer than i could ever be you know and like like we were in a restaurant once in california for breakfast and the you know i know like tips are huge in north america across the board they're pretty you know popular here mm. and stuff but you know tipping in america is like the thing right so uh they were like 
you know, what kind of waffle do you want? We have blueberry and strawberry and chocolate and this and that. And they were like, they knew the whole menu, like the back of their hand. And, uh, and I was like, this is almost, uh, annoyingly nice. Like you're, <laughs> you're way too giving here. Uh, we don't need this much energy this time in the morning. Right. Um, but you know, that's what I mean. So like people are nice, but there is a stereotype and I've seen it in action, you know, where you go abroad and like there's asshole Canadians too. No, for sure. Um, for sure. When people are loud and brash and uh, or crass, you know, openly and stuff like that, I think the knee-jerk reaction for a lot of people are like Americans. Um, so maybe the opposite is that they're Canadian, but that's not that true. I mean, there's a lot of dicks here too. So, <laughs> you know what also struck me is when I went over, you know, so like my friend Andrew would come over here to the states. And everybody would instantly fall in love with him and his accent, and he was just so popular. And then we go over there, and it's just kind of, eh, all right. And it's like I was asking <laughs> where, Andrew, sorry, I was like, where, Why? where, where would you go? I was in, uh, I was in Queensland. I was in uh, Brisbane. Oh, in New Zealand, or, oh. or just in Australia, just around. And uh, yeah, I was okay. like, why are you, why isn't anybody impressed by us? Yeah, I just like because it seemed because I was just looking at the I was looking at the juxtaposition, and he was like, yeah, you know, it's like all of our media, like all the TV and movies we watch, it's all American stuff. So we're just kind of yeah. used to it. And so I was wondering, maybe that's where their impressions of Americans versus Canadians uh, comes in, because like in American media, we really portray Canadians to be so polite and nice and. You know, apologetic and all that stuff, and yeah, a lot of our stuff <laughs> yeah. shows Americans just being uh, just asses. So I don't know. Maybe that's kind of where it comes from. It's very aggressive, like projection of 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 how people are. Because, like I said, I've been to the states, and like one of the warmest receptions I've ever got in my life was in the states. We were in New York City, and we were in uh, Brooklyn, and we were staying in an Airbnb, and I just heard this like cool music coming from the building next door. So we walked downstairs, went outside, and we hadn't noticed walking up, but we noticed it, you know, at the time was that, uh, I think it's called Mount Olive. It was like this tiny Baptist church in the middle of Brooklyn. And, uh, we walked in there and I was like, we were not prepared to be in this church because we were, it was like all people of color and, uh, all black people, African Americans. I'll just say that. And they were all like super nice. They were in their Sunday best. Mm. Okay. And I was wearing a tank top and had sunglasses on, like a complete jackass. Uh, and I felt super rude. But we went in there, we sat in the pew, and they did the, you know, it was the whole, it's like what we see in the movies about these Baptist churches. They're like, Jesus! And they're screaming about Jesus. And there was like an eight-year-old kid leading the sermon. Uh, so much energy and like super passionate. Uh, and they clearly notice who we are. Like I'm, so I'm like more sandy complexion because of my Arab background, but my wife is like, oh, she's white. And uh, so we stuck out kind of like sore thumbs, right? So, but, you know, they passed around the, oh, what's it called? The basket collection Collection basket. plate, yeah. I, yeah, and so I had like literally $1 on me, so I put it in there. And then they did the, because uh, they literally had a point in the, they made me feel guilty. I think they knew I only had a dollar in my wallet because they were like, <laughs> give whatever you can you know at one point it wasn't associated with the plate but anyways they ended up sitting around we did that and then they did the whole part where they're like shake hands and uh you know say peace be with you mm -hmm. right? and uh so we were just standing there i wasn't even expecting anybody to shake my hand and like literally the whole church started walking towards us and then giving us hugs 
And like they were asking us, where are you from? Oh, we're from Toronto. And they're like, you came all the way from there? And I was like, well, I, yeah, I didn't come here <laughs> from Canada. But I mean, like you had some pretty cool tunes. So I thought I'd come in and listen. But uh, everybody gave us hugs. They were very welcoming. They, it was I felt genuine love. Um, and that was, yeah, that was like one of the times in that spent in the States. So it was cool. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, uh, that sounds, uh, very akin to, uh, what we see here in the South, especially, uh, you know, with, uh, mm-hmm. with churches, I've been to a couple of, uh, black services and man, it is, the energy is infectious. Like you just, it, and it feels like they make you part of a community in a way that like me growing mm-hmm. up in uh, my predominantly white church, like never did. Like it always felt like a burden, a chore to be there. And it just, it felt so mm-hmm. celebratory the the times I was in those other churches. So if church was like that and my wife said it first, but if church was like that growing up, cause we both grew up uh, going to Roman Catholic churches, which is just a guilt trip yeah, every yeah. Saturday or Sunday, whatever. And, uh, but if church was more like the way it was at that Baptist church at Mount Olive, the way that we saw it, I'd probably still be religious at least a little bit because I felt like they were giving you something to believe in that level of energy and dedication is undeniable. Um, I don't believe in, in anything anyways <laughs> for what it's worth anymore. But, um, but like I, I definitely felt the love hmm. and I could see why being a part of a community like that is why people feel attached to, um, to religion itself. If that's the excuse for sticking together for sure. Yeah. And when you leave those places, you feel energized, you know, you feel jazzed uh, up. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. you know, you leave on a high sort of thing. Whereas I was always just mm-hmm. staring at my watch, waiting for the time to, tick down so i could get out of there whereas you guys were yeah. probably like kneeling then standing the kneeling and then yeah so oh it was a nightmare, yeah, it was a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh well you were talking about how you left canada you went abroad and um i was wondering you know did you have or would you describe yourself as kind of a nationalist before you left like canada is the best place on earth and you really felt that and was that kind of an awakening for you or did you did you feel like you were kind of uh, shammed, like what well, they've been lying to me all this time. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't say I was a nationalist. I've never been like, a, like had that type of, uh, feeling towards my country. Like it's the best country in the world. I mean, keep in mind, like my mom is Italian. Um, and like she was born here, but she didn't speak English till she was like five or six years old. Uh, you know, they, my grandparents are from Italy and I've been to their hometown several times. My dad's from Beirut. Uh, so, and my grandparents came here, uh, in the like late 50, early 60, uh, late fifties, I should say. And, um, so even though they spent most of their time here, they brought their families here, their extended families here. And so a lot of the weekends were spent in those cultures. So I didn't spend a lot of my growing up time on the weekend specifically with Canadian culture, Mm. right? It's funny because I think like I'm, I would call myself white passing, especially with my voice, uh, like the way that I sound anyway. So I, I haven't particularly experienced a lot of racism, although a lot of racism gets said in my presence, Mm. it's not directed to me. Um, but I, I recognize it. And yeah, I think when I was growing up, it was like, I would do things with other kids and it would be fine. We'd have like friendship was never a problem or, and, and there was never a lot of barriers or anything, but, uh, 
as soon as 9-11 happened, I was in high school. I was in grade 10. And then it became kind of a problem to have my last name, right. to have my skin color. Like people would, uh, white kids would make sounds of bombs blowing up around me and stuff like that, right? So hmm. you really figured out who you were pretty quick after that happened um, if, if you were like me, right? So um, yeah, that was, so I was never a nationalist because I didn't, that, that was, that had a, dis, there was a disconnection from me loving Canada and, and, and uh, I guess like largely white culture because I didn't experience white culture. I worked at my aunt's bakery from the time I was 12 years old. It was a Lebanese bakery. We were making pita bread and, um, and manushi it's called, it's like a pizza, but with thyme as the topping mm. and, uh, and, and the, and uh, a cowie cheese, which is just a specific type of cheese, but another kind of pizza thing. And, and so there was like, all these foods that I would bring to school and you know, other kids would be like, what's that? What's that? They didn't recognize it. Um, so yeah, so there wasn't like a, it wasn't a hundred percent cohesive is what I'm saying. So it's not like I've, I had this unfettered belief in my country or anything like that. Um, and I think growing up here, you know, we don't have things like critical race theory when I was growing up in school as part of the curriculum. Um, but, you, because there were Iranians and there were black kids and there were Chinese and Korean and Japanese kids in my school and there were, uh, you know, other kids from parts of Europe and, and a lot of Italians and a lot of Italians in Toronto as well, Greek people and all these sort of different parts of the world, you still felt like everybody came from an immigrant family. So you, you kind of bonded over your differences. Um, but yeah, and... So, but going overseas, sorry to answer your question. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it was funny because we became the immigrants. Um, so, you know, when you're here or wherever you are and you have immigrants or refugees come to your country, there's, you know, your fellow countrymen, whatever they, you know, uh, whatever you want to call them, can be critical. And they'll be like, oh, uh, come to your country and take your jobs and this and that. Um, and that just sort of becomes part of the background noise. But then when you become the immigrant, you can really hear that sentiment. So like I would be working, uh, I worked in an office at one place and like on a few occasions, people would be like, oh, these immigrants coming and taking our jobs. And they would be Polish people or they would be yeah, different types of Eastern Europeans typically at the time um, or even Syrians and stuff because there's a big exodus. right? Mm. And so... I'm sitting there working and they're like, oh, these bloody immigrants taking our jobs. And I'm like, I'm a fucking immigrant taking one of your jobs. Like, you know what I mean? It's yeah. really awkward. But then when you ask it, when you ask them about it, they'll say, you're not that kind of immigrant. So again, because I'm not as dark as some people and because I don't have an Arabic accent. And because you speak the language and all those and things. Yeah, you speak the language. Yeah. They just say like, you sound funny because you're Canadian. So you, you speak, you speak the wrong type of English, whatever. Um, but to them, even people from the North and South speak the wrong type of English. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it's give and take, but, uh, yeah, you, you, you kind of like, I, I think what I gained from going over there in terms of like, uh, a national perspective or, or love of your country is it, nobody's great. There, there aren't really great countries. There are just great human beings. Hmm. Um, and I think most human beings are pretty great. Um, 
But I think the idea of nationalism is terrible. We've seen it in action. It's horrendous. It doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, borders are kind of uh, borders are kind of silly, right? Like they're just these sort of made up lines and stuff. And anyways, I don't know if I want to get into geopolitics that deep. Yeah, yeah. But but nonetheless, uh, yeah, I think my experience opened up my mind to the fact that like I don't care where I am and I don't care where you've come from. If we can talk about food or, or we can laugh about X, Y, or Z, then we'll just, we'll get along. Right. Yeah. So. so there's something you mentioned is like talking about immigrants and immigration. I, at this point, I've come to almost cringe when I hear the word immigrants because I hate it as a term because people use it to dehumanize other people. Right. So over here, mm. we just, you know, we hear the same stuff. Obviously, you know, it's immigrants coming over here, taking our jobs. And, for one, I like to say, well, have you ever have you ever met one of these people? Because they are mm -hmm. humans with thoughts and feelings and hopes and dreams and families that they're trying to improve the lives of. It's like, have you ever sat yeah. down and talked to one? And I mean, generally the answer is no, right? And so yeah. like, it's just like, I would rather you say their names, say, I hate Joe or I hate Bob. Don't say I hate immigrants because immigrants is this ethereal <laughs> boogeyman that doesn't exist. You know what I mean? It's like, oh uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I hate I, I hate the way that we could so easily dehumanize people, immigrants, uh, criminals, you know, prisoners, whatever term you want to throw on. You know, it's just to me, I I hate that. I hate it. Those are the hardest working people in the world. I mean, immigrants, refugees, criminals is a good shout out as well. Like you know, these people have everything working against them coming out of the gate whatever that gate may be, whether it's a border or an actual gate uh, from a cage or something like they just have these preconditions and, 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 you know, things, but these are the people that are working the hardest, whether it's to clear their name or, or prove themselves or uh, run away from actual war. <laughs> like that's the, I think like that uh, blissful ignorance is really defined by people who complain about immigrants and immigrants, uh, like from my perspective, we were economic immigrants. We, you know, we, I went there for a job uh, and we did succeed. We just happened to come back. But, um, uh, you know, hopefully the door is open to do it again. I mean, I, I would be open to doing that again if the opportunity is correct. And now I have a bit more insight into what it's like uh, and some of the challenges that come with it. And some of that you're going to face like bias and things like this doesn't matter where you're from. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the way that you describe the way that you hear the word immigrant is the same way I look at the Canadian flag now is I'm kind of like it's used, whether it's a word or, or a symbol, it's used to yeah demoralize or dehumanize people. And these people are just making a life, dude. If they were like, you know, if they were going to bomb Tulsa, Oklahoma, right, uh, those people would want to leave and come to Canada. And then imagine if these people who regularly talk about immigrants that way, now Canadians are talking about them like that. You know, it's you, you just got to put the shoe on the other foot for two seconds to see how offensive what you're saying really is. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough for people to do that. It takes uh, time and it takes energy and uh, they don't want to expend it, I think, sometimes. Exactly. But yeah. I hear I hear some of that stuff come out of some people that I've seen with the greatest acts of kindness. They are the kindest people. And then they'll say stuff like that. And I think, do you really mean that? Or is this just the way you've been raised and conditioned? And when faced with the reality of, I have to tell this person, no, you have to stand out in the rain, they wouldn't, they wouldn't make that choice. 
but for some reason right now in this moment they feel like they i just i don't know because i I have family members that are like that and it's like i know this not the person you are i'm not sure why you are confessing to be that person because i've seen you do the opposite (laughs) yeah i think uh i don't know i maybe people want to be nice and they want to be seen as nice but then again i mean for all that what we're talking about i think most human beings are pretty decent yeah, people. i think you're right i don't think most people are dicks i think like you know social media and uh and uh you know things on the internet or just it, like forums like reddit and stuff like that you just see the loudest people and the loudest people are kind of the biggest assholes you know you never see someone shouting like i love immigrants you know like that would it just seems so out of the ordinary right, right. you would never actually see that uh, but you know, once in a while you do see people taking them in and, and it like when Syria, when all the Syrian immigrants came to Canada, there was some backlash where people were being true assholes. Like these people are running away again from war. Um, but they came here. They've, you know, they were taken in by a lot of Canadians. It takes a lot of people to accept thousands of refugees um, into, into a, a new place and teach them, whatever you know the sort of rules regulations where to go to the dmv and what to do there and shit like that um you know and i've helped friends because of that experience myself like i have a friend who came from brazil um his name is lorenzo and he came from brazil and he went we went to school together for some time and uh yeah he's brand new and i anytime he's got a question you know what I have to go to this office or what do I do for my taxes and where do I go for mm. this? Where do I go for that? I'm helping him do that. Like it doesn't take a lot. You don't have to like open your house to people um, all the time. You can just kind of tell them which direction to go in and that's helpful, but complaining about them because they've made a decision to like take a boat and go live somewhere else or take a plane, go live somewhere else. It just, I think is objectively unreasonable. Yeah. Yeah. For a lot of people I say, um, you know, if you were in a very unfortunate situation and you didn't do everything you possibly could to make a better life for your family, I was like, I feel like you'd be doing it wrong, don't you? And they're like, yeah. It's like, well, what do you think these people are doing, right? Just everything they yeah. possibly can to make a better life for their family. So, I don't know. Exactly. To me, it's, yeah. it's pretty cut and dry if you just remember people are actual humans just like you. It's not hard to do. Honestly, like, people make the claim... Uh, I'm just going to say this as a, maybe a last point about it. But like, I think a lot of people make that claim, like my granddaddy went to war and sacrificed and all that shit. And he's like, yeah. And that's what these people are doing. They're just running away from the war, except instead of running into it, you know, they're making their own sacrifices uh, and they're fighting their own war. You know, they're fighting their own thing, whether it's internal, like not every country has, up trillions of dollars of military might to kind of swing around and like not every country has citizens who are like armed to the teeth you know um, <laughs> for for an insurrection I, that could just happen i have no day, idea you know? what so, you could be talking about who who are these mythical <laughs> right. people you're talking about well yeah but i mean that's the example people do need it spelled out sometimes right it's like look like these people are just they're not able to fight so they run it's it's fight or flight. It's literally mm-hmm. those two things. It's kind of basic. Um, but I think, yeah, people who just kind of sit around and complain about, oh, these people are running away. Why don't they fight for their country? Because they're not allowed to have AR-15s in their bedroom closet uh, and, you know, stuff like that. So 
It's just, again, it's like we said, it's a shoe on the other foot kind of thing. Yeah. If you just imagine for a couple seconds what you would do in that situation with those same means at your disposal, you'd probably find yourself similarly doing that, right? Mm, for sure. All right, man. Well, let's talk about something way sexier and tell me how you got into transportation. Hmm. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, no, it's like I, um, when I hear somebody who's like doing transportation and consulting on this, I think like a very measured analytical mind of a person, but then I hear you're also a musician. So those seem almost diametrically opposed to me. So I'm just curious how that lives in the same body. Oh, both sides of my brain are constantly fighting with each other. Um, <laughs> But realistically, like I got into uh, the world of transportation by um, it was like a summer job from high school. Mm. So a buddy of mine, his uncle worked at this company that uh, they closed roads in downtown Toronto for big events. So like mm. our Pride Festival and Santa Claus Parade and St. Patrick's Day Parade and uh, marathons, you know, in different parts of the city or different parts of the province and things like that. We would put up the barricades. We would put up, uh, you know, the big pylons and road close signs and detours. And we would do construction sites and things like that, too. Um, but the big thing was on the weekends was the big, big events. Yeah, yeah. And it was really good money for we were 17 and we were making like 18 bucks an hour. Um, and the mid 2000s, like, that was a lot. That's of pretty good. To, yeah. Right. So that was our gig. And that's kind of what I did for like three or four summers. Um, and I did go to school. I went to college originally for business, dropped out because I hate financial math. Um, <laughs> I went to school for policing um, and then got to the end of that course. And I was like, I never want to be a police officer. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, sometimes that's what and, school's good at is teaching you all the things you don't want to do, right? Dude, all the teachers were like miserable, divorced, had no friends. And, uh, and, and so I was like, do I really want to be like yeah, these people? that way they can date their students easy. It, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, so yeah, it was efficient at teaching me what I didn't want to do for sure. Uh, but then the whole time I was at school, I was still doing these, these jobs, closing roads and stuff. Uh, and it was fun. Like you got to spend time with your friends. You know, we would spend 16, 18 hours sometimes working in the summer, um, doing these, we were at every big event. So like the pride parade in Toronto is like the third or fourth biggest pride per, uh, event in North America. Um, Santa Claus parade is massive. These huge races, like we were overworked. We were very gotcha. much. Is that a pretty good capital, flex? Does that know? help you pick up chicks in the bar? Hey man, I worked the Santa parade. No, 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 it's terrible. You don't get, that's the thing <laughs> with these. You don't get a life. You don't get a life because you're during the week, you're working 14 hours a day. And then during the weekend, you're working like, you know, for uh, 18 hours or 20 Dang. hours sometimes a day because you're going to the yard, picking up equipment, going to the site, putting it down, going, get more and going back and forth. And there's only two people in a truck. So there's like, you know, there's not a lot you can do, but um, it takes a lot of time. Anyways, one day, one event we worked was the Mississauga is the next city to the west of Toronto. And they have a marathon, a full marathon event every year. And so one year I worked that event with uh, my friend Daniel, who I worked. He was my partner in crime. Uh, I picked up a friend of mine, Matthew, and I picked up my brother um, to come in and do whatever part-time gig. So anyways, we by the time I had picked these two guys up, I had already worked about 15, 16 hours. 
Then I picked them up and I worked another 18 hours. And I think I only slept about 40 minutes and full on hallucinated (laughs) like during the time that I was sleeping. So I fell asleep on the corner of the, you know, in the truck, but on the corner of a road. And uh, somebody came up to the truck and it was like this really skinny black guy. And he was like, what direction do I go in for this road? And I was like, I don't know, go left, right, and you'll find it. And then like two weeks later, this chubby white guy that we worked with came up to me and he was like, you looked really tired that day I came up to you. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, like, so like I had hallucinated this skinny black dude, realized it was like my chunky, my chunky white buddy um, who was in a full truck. And this like other black guy that asked me for directions was in a, like a red sports car. <laughs> or so I thought. Oh my gosh. It was wild. I'd never hallucinated like that before in my life. I blew through a red light that like one of the nights out there and stuff like that. Just completely. My buddy was like just as tired sitting next to me, Daniel. And he's like, hey, I'm pretty sure that was a red light. <laughs> and I just look in the rear view mirror and sure enough. But it was like three in the morning. Right. Uh, so there was nobody out, thankfully, because yeah. that could have been extremely dangerous. But um, yeah, that was insane. Uh But from there, anyways, so after I was kind of done school, I stopped doing that for a little bit. Um, And then uh, I don't even remember what I did in between. But then I started working for another company who kind of did the same thing, but then started doing more technical stuff. So I started working uh, in something called Intelligent Transportation Systems. Hmm. So uh, for short, it's ITS. Uh, It mostly has to do with like um, digital uh, or sorry, data collection. Um, and sort of like um, adaptive signal technology and uh, LED lighting and sort of um, motion detecting and, and things like that anyways. Uh, and so, yeah, so I had kind of done that, did that. It was a hybrid at that second job um, where I was a site supervisor, so I was still doing the physical stuff and then kind of doing the, the technical bits on the side. Uh, went to then go work for a software startup who was um, – was run by a good friend of mine at the time and i worked for him for about five months and they had built this software it's called a um oh what's it called i think it's an advanced traffic management system uh so basically they aggregate a lot of they aggregate a lot of the city's infrastructure onto a web-based platform uh so you can see what events are going Mm. on the health and the maintenance of the um traffic signals where the buses are at any given time and things like that uh so again it's a big aggregate thing and and that helps organize things anyways um and yeah so actually i worked for them for five months and then i got fired the very week i got married (laughs) uh, by my friend who hired me who was also one of my groomsmen (laughs) right so that was um that was an interesting week and um and then we ended up going on like i couldn't find another job because we were going on our honeymoon like the next week Mm. so i just enjoyed those two weeks off that we had came back and then i couldn't find work for like several months um yeah it was pretty tough actually and then uh at one point i was like i have italian citizenship like i'm a dual citizen and um i was like let me see if i can find work in europe Uh, and my wife was like, if you can find work, then we'll go. Cause up until that point she was like, I'm never moving. Um, and so then she was like, if you can find work, we'll go. Um, yeah. And, and so I have, I found one interview in Canada 
And then there was like an event in England, uh, a traffic transportation event, right? You know, with uh, vendors and shit. And uh, and I was like, okay, I'll, I'm going to go there. I'm going to spend like my last thousand bucks uh, of disposable money and go to this event. And I'm going to schmooze the shit out of everyone <laughs> and try to get a job. So uh, I went to the interview in Canada. Then I went to Birmingham where this thing happens. It's called Trafix. And uh, before I went, I think I emailed like 500 people on LinkedIn, like an insane amount of copy pasting um, for the couple months leading up to this thing. I got to the event. I was sort of already in contact consistently with two people. Uh, so I met up with them, had dinner with them. It was an amazing time. They were great people. And then I got two job offers. Um, so one was in uh, London for 17,000 pounds a year, Oof. which... Yeah, big baller. And I have a. It was. It's so disgustingly low. It's already below the poverty line, and uh, I asked my buddy who was living in London at the time, and he's like, "I I wouldn't be able to buy my groceries for seventeen thousand pounds a year in London." So, he was like, "Don't come live here for that." So I said, "Okay." So then the other offer was in Leeds, in Northern England, which is about an hour east of Manchester. and that was for 21,000 pounds, which obviously doesn't sound like a lot more, but in Northern England, it goes a lot further. Mm. Um, like we ended up, we were able to buy a house. Uh, we had a car. We went on vacations probably four or five times a year. Um, and we had savings. And wow. yeah, it was a, actually, yeah, it was a fantastic time, to be honest. Um, the quality of life was quite high. Um, How long were you over then, there? A couple of years? Uh Three and a half years. Three and a half. I mean, almost, that's enough time four. to really get a feel of the place, huh? We loved it. Yeah. We carved out a niche for ourselves, you know, like uh, we have friends who we still talk to and we still love uh, more than anything. Um, it was really great. Like, honestly, I do regret leaving a lot uh, all the time. So um, it's it's weird, but uh, and it's tough now because Brexit, right? Hmm. Brexit was not the reason we left but i mean it it, it was um it, it wasn't looking great you know at the time because we were there and i voted on it as a european citizen i could so i voted against it and uh yeah whatever it went through and it's been a shit show ever since and i think it's only going to get worse that's the only thing that makes it unattractive to go back um is that they're not a part of the european union which means my passport doesn't like allow me free movement there. Oh, so okay, your so Italian passport like is how you were able to kind of more easily get in. That makes sense. So I live there as an Italian. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so the funny thing is like, now I'd have to pay visas if I live there and work there every year. You know, like if I went down to the States and lived and worked there, I have to pay for a visa. Whereas like I could go to 27 other places in Europe countries and live there, work there, buy a house, and be a part of a productive member of society just because of the one passport. Um, so actually, I think that's a huge benefit. Um, what else? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, it was an incredible journey. And then, oh, yeah, because I was doing traffic stuff there. So I had gotten a job installing this ITS hardware uh, all over England. So we, I worked for a company that did studies and collected data. Mm-hmm. So we did physical studies where people would literally spit. You Like... You would be lined up on the road and a cop would tell a bunch of cars like, come here. We need to ask you origin destination questions. So where are you coming from? Where are you going? Um, And they use that information to decide, um, you know, the volumes of roads and how roads are 
geometrically designed and um, if they're reaching capacity or, or um, you know, which roads are being used to get to which destinations, right? Um, but for some reason, I never did this here, but if for some reason in England, they still did roadside surveys and people would get spit on all the time. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I'm just like, you're coming up and I'm like, where did you come from? Asda, where are you going? My house. Um, and then like maybe one other question and they'd be like, fuck off dickhead. And they, you know, they would just speed <laughs> off and stuff. And I'm like, abuse. Um, but the cool thing is you're in a foreign country and you get to travel around and do a bunch of stuff. So we would, uh, like the first job I ever had in England was at Wimbledon at the tennis championships. Right. So we set up like 44 cameras and a bunch of Bluetooth devices to detect yeah Bluetooth signals and stuff. Uh, and what we did was we monitored the crowds and how they moved to kind of get an idea of, um, the Wimbledon, like the actual tennis club, wanted to know how to, you know, where to place vendors mm. and where to place things so that advertisements so people would see them mm. more. Uh, and also from that, a lot of stadiums use this uh, methodology to decide um, exit strategies for emergencies and how best, where where to put the doors, how best to design lanes and things like that. Um, but yeah, b we were on Henman Hill watching Andy Murray win uh the wimbledon championship so which is the first time a british person did that in like fucking 40 years or something so it was like a huge event to be a part of but we got to watch like i got to watch um oh what's his name the spanish guy uh nadal Ra yeah rafael nadal so i got to watch him practice uh while i was on top of the bbc broadcasting center for wimbledon i got to watch serena williams practice in like the practice center um, so it had its perks and then you'd go to like these remote places. Like I'd gone to like Ben Nevis, which is in Fort, um, Fort William in Scotland. And that was an incredible drive. I, there's never a more terrifying drive I've done than driving into Fort William with a manual vehicle, uh, because the roads to get in are so constantly turning and winding and things like that. Like you're just constantly between second and third and fourth gear. Um, it's a full-on bicep workout <laughs> getting into that place. So, um, yeah, that happened. And then that workplace was kind of a little bit toxic. Like, the experience was great, but the uh, management was kind of toxic. So I found a job that was uh, where I used AutoCAD to design um, work zones. So I would uh, meet with like a developer or uh, whatever utilities company. And they said, okay, we're going to cut out this portion of the road. And, um, and uh, we, so we're going to cut out this portion of the road. So we need, you know, we need a safe work zone for our workers. So I would use AutoCAD and be like, okay, the cones need to go here. The signs need to go there. And this is how traffic should move. And this is how the, the detour should be designed. Um, and you, in England, you have to do that for every work zone no matter how small it is, it has to be, they have to have a traffic management plan approved by the council uh, for every, every site that you work on. So I would do that for dozens and dozens and dozens of, of, of plans. So I got really good at AutoCAD. Um, and then, yeah. And then we decided to leave. Uh, one reason was like, we wanted to start a family and then have a support network uh, of our, you know, our, our own family around us. So we, we decided to kind of come back and, then we never ended up having kids, so mm. it didn't really matter. And uh, <laughs> but that was okay. Um, 
Was that so we did this by huge choice sorry. or not? That have kids uh, play. Yeah, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Mm. Um, so I'll get into that in a second. But uh, the full story just being like from when we decided to leave England, we wanted to do a big, huge road trip. Huh. So we got in our car. We did a three-month road trip through Europe. Um, and then we stayed with our friends in a town called Beverly for a couple of weeks. And then we came back home. Hmm. Um and then the first job I found was at the city of Toronto's uh, traffic operations center. I think that's what it's called. And basically, you watch like sixty or so, sixty or whatever hundred televisions, all broadcasting the uh, the cameras on the on the highways. And so we would watch for like incidents, accidents, construction sites, things that were going on. We would change the message boards on the on the gantries, you know, above the above the highways and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, and so we just kind of were the eyes on the road. Um, and that job sucked. That job was so shitty. It was underpaid. Um, it was poor management. Uh, and it was just a shit job. It was like a round-the-clock job. So you'd have to do shifts. You'd do the night shift. And uh, who wants to work the night shift, you know? Um, and it was kind of boring because all you did was watch traffic literally all day on 60 TV screens. So... It's not exciting. It's not challenging in any way. Um, and the the people who were like the managers were like, they weren't transportation professionals. Uh, they were like, uh, they worked in a call center. They were like call center management. So mm. they worked for like telecom companies. And I was like, this is, I can't work for idiots like this. Like I have to go work with people that I respect, right? Um, so I went back to school. So I, I took a three-year course, and I did it in two and a half years, and uh, I graduated in April of 2020, and I immediately started working at where I work now, and uh, yeah, it's the most supportive workplace that I've ever worked in, and I get to work with people that I respect. Um, I get to work with super like intelligent people, and um, they give me guidance. And it's a unionized environment, so there's a lot of like support among the workforce hmm. for each other. Um, so yeah, anytime I have a question, I don't feel like I'm gonna get like, you know, like oh, why are you asking me? You should know this. They just everybody is always helpful. Um, so making that decision to like go back to school to go and f- you know, and I was lucky to find work given the the time scale mm. but um yeah going back to school was the best decision and i had found out what i really liked i'd worked in transportation right. for long enough where i was like this is kind of where i want to be and and i do want to work with people who are really good at this so i need to get at least somewhat good at it uh to be able to get my foot in the door and be there and that's kind of what i did so it sounds yeah. like kind of a, a niche thing so it makes me curious like what is it about it that really i mean well one, I mean, it, I could kind of see how your career progressed and how you ended up staying in it, but um, what is it about it now that really like scratches some itch in your brain that makes you really enjoy it? Because it sounds like you, at this point, you actually truly enjoy what you're doing. That's it's funny you say it like that because I don't necessarily love my job. Yeah, I don't love engineering for yeah. the sake yeah, of yeah. engineering. I respect engineers and I respect engineering and I respect the detail oriented aspect of it. Um, and I love getting stuck into the nitty gritty of the details uh, because I work like in the public service. We deal a lot with like policy and regulations and legislation. And I, 
can dig right into that and I can find things that are inconsistent and, um, and I can communicate in a way that, uh, yeah, makes me respect myself. But largely, I don't love work. I actually hate work. I think working <laughs> is stupid. And if I had like $5 million, I would never work a day in my life again. Um, but I have to work. So I might as well do something that I respect. Respect um, it. Because I think, yeah, that speaks to me more. Than, I know people are like, do something you love. And that's cool. If you can make money yeah. doing something. And you can actually find bait. something that you love that has money behind yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, and so like I love playing bass, but I wasn't uh, necessarily encouraged to be, uh, you know, to go into an artistic field. Um, I think that has a lot to do with it as well, to be honest with you. And and maybe this is a better conversation for a therapist, but like uh, with my upbringing, and again, I got to bring the immigrant life into yeah. it a little bit because there's just that, especially I mean, in my experience, it's Italian and Arab, so. It was like, you can be a business person, you could be a lawyer, a doctor, an airplane pilot, or an engineer. Mm -hmm. You have five choices in life, and and that's it. So it, I tried business, and I didn't do well at it. I, I hate financial math. I still don't understand how the debits and credits work. Um, thankfully, my wife does, <laughs> and she, she's like a bookkeeper, so she knows exactly what she's doing with that. So that saved my life, or saved my bank account anyways. And um, But like structural math, um, physics and things like that, I can I can chew into that. So it's something that I'm like capable of. But it did take years to figure out what you know what kind of math I really did enjoy. Uh, but again, because there was limited, it was like I played bass when I was a kid, but it was never like, oh, you can definitely succeed. You can be a session bass player. Here, go to school to be a bass player or a musician or a producer. It was like what are you going to business for? It better be accounting or it better be engineering. And that's terrifying when you're a kid. You don't fucking know what you want to do with your life. Um, so as much as I would love to make money playing bass, I can't do that at the minute. And I was, I never got the opportunity to explore it. Mm. Um, so uh, yeah, I did the next best thing, which is like I kind of like cut my teeth for 10, almost 15 years in the field of transportation and then went back to school. And I went back to school a lot to uh, because I wanted, because even though I had the, the physical experience or the field experience, I didn't think I was going to get enough respect to uh, be in the environment, um, in the engineering environment without sort of paying my academic dues. Uh, and that's what going back to school was, was paying my academic dues. And I did that. And um, that's something I can be proud of for sure. And that's kind of why I keep doing it. That's, I'm starting to put some pieces together. So I've heard you say the word respect several times in relation to your job. One was, uh, you know, I, I, I couldn't stay in this environment because I didn't respect the management. And mm. the idea of you being respected amongst your peers is really important. Where do you think, where do you think that piece comes in? Why do you think that's so important? Because it's obviously, I mean, it drove you to leave one place and is what makes you satisfied at staying at the one job. Obviously, nobody wants to work, right? But it's making <laughs> you satisfied at least in the place you are now. Like, why, why is being respected by your peers so important? Or is it just the fact that if you can't respect somebody, like in a position of authority, you have trouble working with them, so you want people to respect you so they'll want to work with you? 
I think like before before I had finished school or before I went to school, I I um I wanted to be respected by people and I thought that being in the field for so long gave me that, but it didn't. Mm. Uh because there were words that people were using uh that I didn't understand. Mm. There was phrases, there was ideas that people were talking about that I didn't understand. Um and I needed to go through school to be able to understand those concepts. Now that I have my academic uh, dues and I have, um, you know, I have my my field experience. I don't give a shit what people think about me hmm. um, because I've proven it to myself. So I kind of respect myself. Why I think respect is a such a big word or such a word that I've used often enough is kind of, um, I don't know. I think I I think you know if you don't respect the people you work for, um. There's no motivation. I don't have any motivation for do something that for doing something that, like, if I don't know, it's a difficult. Maybe it's a difficult thing to define off the bat. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I respect like what my um, what my grandparents did. You know, they came here and they had a they built a life for themselves and they they scraped by and they they got educations. Um, or they had trades and they did skillful things. Um, my parents lived that immigrant life way harder than me, mm. um, you know, and they both went to university um, and they both did really well in their lives, you know, and um, and and they continue to do well. So um, it's a kind of a thing where, I mean, I think any parent probably wants their kids to beat them at life. <laughs> You know, um, if they can, and it's been tough for millennials, I think in general, um, but we're not doing too bad at the minute and, and, um, which, you know, we're grateful for, but it's, it's a slog, man. It's a slog. You know, I think it's, it's pretty obvious, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I think because I don't believe in God, I think I want to respect other people. Like I don't believe, I don't have a belief thing. You know, I'm not like, I believe in God, I believe in in the goodness of human beings. I just want people to be like competent and relatively productive. Mm. And if you're not and you're in a position of power and you don't have an education that is right for that position or you don't have the experience because a lot of okay, a lot of like construction and a lot of uh a lot of jobs in general have like nepotism. So mm -hmm. that's something I don't respect. Okay, I don't respect when you get a job because of like who you know. I think that's a silly way to do it. Because I worked for 15 years in the field, I went to school, and I got this job that's like pretty difficult to get if you don't have like an engineering background. Uh, so earning that respect through through academics and and through field practice is like yeah, it's a big deal to me. I don't I don't know if I can define it actually. No, no, I get you. Um, I get you. So, but it's important to me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I can one hundred percent see that. So something you mentioned earlier that kind of makes me curious is, uh, you know, the the immigrant parent mentality. I've talked to some other people that told me, you know, because you know that's that's not the truth I live. But I've uh, talked to some other people kind of about. Uh, that well, one person in particular was a lawyer, and they were a very successful mm. lawyer. And then one day, they stopped being a lawyer and became an artist. And they were like, "Because I was a lawyer for my parents, you know." And right, and so I was like, "Man, that that stuff runs deep." You know what I mean? Like I like like <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. like to me like I don't I don't have that. But it's like that was pretty eye opening for me. And so 
was thinking a lot of those parents, right? They, um, you know, they, they put so much emphasis among, well, you said there were like five jobs you could have. And I guess the sixth job would be, uh, you could be a disappointment to the family, right? That's the sixth choice. Um, but you know, there's so much, so (laughs) much pressure and stress associated with that, that it's also like, you know, I want my parent to like respect what I do. I want them to see me as an individual that's successful and I'm succeeding in my field. And, you know, I've, I've met some kind of standard and I, I wasn't trying to say that that was your truth. It was just something that kind of mm-hmm. occurred to me because, yeah, like I've heard from yeah other folks like yourself, man, that that is uh, because that gets born into you pretty much, you know, from the womb. It's like that is impressed upon you from the time you are a child. And that stuff is hard to get out of you. Oh, dude, like my. Yeah. So growing up, like I said, uh, my dad, he, my dad tried to teach me math. OK, for years and he failed miserably because it was like a very well, I shouldn't say he failed, but he definitely <laughs> was very aggressive. He's not a great teacher. Let's put it that way. He's not a good teacher, um, which is ironic because my mom is a teacher, but she's a French teacher. Um, but anyways, so my dad's amazing at math, like amazing. He can like. He can uh, think of like percentages and he can do fucking long division in his head. And I can't do that. I need a calculator. And I've, I've been to engineering school. So, um, but I, I'm also not confident enough sometimes in my, you know, a mental math. But anyways, yeah, he's just incredible at math and he, and he just couldn't get through to me. But the thing is, is like he's a business guy, right? Like he's a businessman. So I did go to business school mm. and I did that because I was like, I think this would impress you know, my dad, if I was going to succeed at that. So I did try it and, uh, failed at it. So at the time, you know, I was like 17, 18. I was like, man, I am a huge disappointment. Um, so let me go pick something easy. So I went and picked this policing course. Cause there's a lot of people that I met in it. And I was like, yeah, it seems kind of easy. If this guy's <laughs> doing it. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, and it, it was, I mean, it was, I passed. So, um, I have a diploma in police foundations, they call it, but, um, it still, it didn't stick. And the thing that stuck was the thing that I did enjoy doing, which was working in the transportation field. I, I like talking about engineering concepts. I like talking about things that made traffic move better and uh, people travel safer. Um, and I like talking about efficiencies and optimization in, in uh, infrastructure and things like that. So yeah, it took a while, but I got there on my own and, and it was my own decision. So yeah. So yeah, that's the case. I get it. I get it, man. Well, we are bumping up on time. So I wanted to talk about your podcast a little bit because I know this is like, Oh, that is like your passion project. The thing you're, so let's, let's do a hard cut, man. Let's bam. Let's move over sure. to that. Cause I, I definitely, you know, I just want to just talk to you about it a little bit. Um, so mm-hmm. you happen to be on a podcast and you happen to do podcasts and ultimately that's how we ended up connecting through somebody else was kind enough to give us a referral and yours mm-hmm. is social animals right so tell me about it why is that important to you yeah oh uh <laughs> it's it's so podcasting is hilarious so uh social animals is a uh, it's a social animals is an interview based or an interview style storytelling podcast about friendships um, so it's kind of like, I bill it like the good, bad, and ugly anecdotes of the, uh, closest of our closest chosen connections. Um, and yeah, it's, it's funny or it's important to me or was important to me to start it because I wanted other people's 
interpretations of uh, well, I wanted other people's stories. I wanted to hear their stories about friendship because mm. I thought I had a few that were interesting um, by way of you know growing up here and the, growing up with who with the people that I did uh, through the experiences that I had and then moving overseas and having those experiences and traveling and, and meeting people, having people come into your life, you know, briefly and you're like, is that a friend? Yes, I can say that's a friend, even hmm. though we knew each other for a week um, and then never saw each other again. That was still, we had a very good connection. So I would call that person a friend. Um, or I had like my friend who was my groomsman and then fired me the week after I got married. Um, and then we actually stayed in touch um, when I moved overseas. But then like two years later, he got married and then dropped off the face of the planet and nobody in either of our friends groups know where the fuck he is. Hmm. Um, so it's like, like that's interesting when you get into the details. I think it's really interesting to see what, how our, uh, interpersonal, um, platonic relationships have shaped us, um, as human beings. And I think, or I hope that's what people get out of listening to the stories. Um, so yeah, it's, it's important because we need connections in our lives as well. Like we are, we are social animals, right? So um, it's cool to hear how we got there and how we use that term and stuff like that, right? Yeah. And, and like, it occurs to me, like when you were talking about that, you know, what is the definition of a friend? And that's going to be different. Every person you talk mm. to. It also makes me think about like, you're gathering a lot of empirical data. Imagine the transportation <laughs> guy who's done a lot of analysis of things over time would do that. But I'm not saying that's what you're doing, but uh, the idea that, you know, every person you interview you can make assumptions and then see what the empirical data matches up you know like uh, you know what are the trends as far as you know what do people consider friends or you know like how they meet people or maybe their significant others i bet you see a lot of interesting parallels oh man like we yeah there's answers that come up that are fairly similar uh and they all have their own sort of spice right um, added to them, but it's incredible. Like I have an episode in the can right now that I'm working on, uh, and it's sort of a format. Um, it's, it's a different format. Uh, and it's with a guest that I've had on previously. Um, his name's, uh, Dr. Thomas Brooks. He's from Texas actually as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, or uh, I think he lives in New Mexico now, but he's a professor and he is a sociologist and we discussed, so he did the podcast in its sort of original form. Uh, in my first season. Mm. Um, and then he came on uh, more recently and we just talked about imaginary friends. Uh, so one of the questions is like, have you had an imaginary friend? Um, and so we just talked about the idea of imaginary friends and, and, the, and where it came from and how long it's been studied and what some of the assumptions are involved in that concept. And I actually did build an Excel sheet because that's like kind of my thing. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I built an Excel sheet for, to see how many people had answered the question with yes, uh. what, what they answered. So some people are like, I had a teddy bear. I had fairies. I had, um, a belt or something that I used to, you know, associate or personify. Right. Um, or if it was just pure, like, uh, like one guy, his name's Samir Cash. He's a great musician. And he talked about when he used to drive in the car with his parents because his parents were musicians. So he would follow them around and, and well, he would be dragged around with them and uh, as they toured and stuff. And so he spent a lot of time in the car. So he would have these two friends, Icto Bicto and Cali Wally, <laughs> that would live inside the gas 
canister. You know when you open the gas can, the housing yeah. for where your 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 gas thing yeah. is in your car. They would live inside there. <laughs> and then when his parents would come would go get gas and fuel up, they would come out and they would spend time with him in the car um and chill with them and then they'd hop back in and they would continue on their way, you know, as their parents would drive. So you know, the range of stories is pretty incredible, but it's funny because we, um, because Thomas had said that, uh, there's like a 20% rate, uh, that, that people have imaginary friends or something. I mean, you can wait till the episode to find out what he actually said, yeah, but yeah. it was like the same ratio where studies had been conducted to say, you know, did you have an imaginary friends? Let's say the ratio is 20% in that study. Uh, my guess also turned out to have about 20% return on how many people did have it so yeah i mean some of this stuff is is data collecting <laughs> it just it sort of happens to be in the form of storytelling what makes me think about that too is like are there parallels that are associated with that like the people that did have imaginary friends do they find themselves in more creative careers as adults you know because to me that's like well whoa yeah you know, it seems like there's a lot of creativity associated with that you know is that actually track over here or there like my brain always goes to directions like that. I don't have the energy uh, to actually put that information together, but I'm always curious about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, I mean, the table that I had made had like, did they have siblings? What, you know, mm. did they have, were their parents together if we knew that information? Mm. So there was a lot of metrics that I was kind of tracking um, throughout the process. And then, yeah, kind of, there were parallels. There were some, I mean, the, the, it's, it's tough because when people grow up, most people lose that connection. They don't actually remember it mm. properly. And that goes for everybody. Um, and and so it's difficult. But I mean, for the people that really do remember it, and I talk to a lot of creatives. I mean, most of, some of my guests are my close friends, and they also happen to be creatives. Um, but a lot of my guests are musicians, artists, authors, um, storytellers in their own right. And, uh, and yeah, everybody that I've talked to, at least 20% of them from my data gathered has had imaginary friends. So it's, um, it's a fun question to ask and a fun question to hear the stories about for sure. Yeah. And you know, like you said, you, uh, you know, you have a kind of, um, a set list of questions you're going to ask, but it varies guest by guest. You do a lot of really good editing and mix things up, but even then no two people have the same answer and it varies wildly. So it's so funny that, yeah even from the exact same starting point, those paths diverge so wildly. That's uh, To me, that's one of like the more interesting bits is you never quite know where it goes. And it kind of turns into this little game where I start trying to get a sense of the person. And then as you answer, mm. or rather ask the question, I try and sort of speculate in my mind which direction they're going to go with their answer. And <laughs> I'm never correct. I mean, it's always, it's always I something mean, that's unexpected. Yeah, and like 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 we were talking about before, like human beings are they all have their own stories. They're all like really interesting people. You don't get to be 30 years older. I mean, I've had people as young as 21 and like you don't get to spend 21 years on your life and have boring relationships all the time, right? Like you try to make life exciting. Everybody kind of does that mm. uh, depending on their level uh of accessibility to that, but yeah, it's um it so that's where I took it from um, off menu podcast, right. Is where they ask sort of the same questions every mm. time. So I kind of started doing that and it's changed now where I let people s sometimes pick just a few questions and things like that, uh, that they'll have more robust stories for. Cause there was a point where I was like, did you do that? Like, 
did you have this experience? Did you have that experience? And they're like, no, no, no. <laughs> or they would, they might just muse about it because they didn't really have a story yeah. about it. So now I try to get the guests to choose the questions, you know, so many, quite a few, a handful of questions that, uh, that they think they'll have really great stories for. But I always ask who was your very first friend? Um, because I think that, that really kicks it off. That's a really big, um, diving board for people. Um, to, to think back because you got to think about all the friendships in your lives, right? So who was your very first one? Was it someone on the street? Was it a kindergarten? Where did they come from and, and what did you do together and things like that, right? So, yeah. Yeah, and uh, my memory is like very relative. So if you just like, if you were to walk up and say, tell me a joke, I'm probably going to draw a blank. But in the course of a conversation, I'll think of 20 stupid things I could say, you know, in that moment right. that would be funny. So it, I, I think... In that same sense, uh, starting with like some default questions are probably going to help inform things. But like in, in my case, I, I thought that I found that very useful because it also presented me with mm. the questions also helped me kind of like start musing over, you know, where do I have? Yeah, those more robust stories. And then that would sort of make me think about something else and, and giving me time to sort of muse over it, I think helps me, you know, fill that stuff out. Whereas here, I just like to, you know ambush people with questions so it's a little bit more difficult <laughs> i've been i've been i've been on one other podcast where it was a straight up ambush and uh it was like i you should go listen to it anyways because it is crazy <laughs> like i uh it's this guy called cambrio and he's actually a really really nice guy uh and i talk to him all the time still on like instagram but um he did a podcast with somebody and i was like like the person didn't even know how to answer. They were like, where are these questions coming from? And then he at, then I was like, I don't know. I think he asked me to be on or something like that. And I went on and he was like, this question, it was a music based podcast. He's uh -huh. like, what do you think of Greta Van Fleet? He didn't let me know that he was going to ask me about that. And I had <laughs> never heard of that band before. Um, so I just kept being like, well, I can't really talk to that because oh, like, man. I don't know who they are, but I'll talk about this. Um, so I think, I mean, it worked out in the end, but it was like, I, I was kind of like happy at that point where I was like, I'm glad I give the questions to people because I was not prepared for any of this. Um, but yeah, I think I let people choose a few questions now or like their own specific ones that they like to start off with because, um, I mean, those, those can also go in any direction. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to like browbeat someone to like, no, this should be about your friends, you know, not. This other time that you spent with your dad, like I'm not going to do that, right? Yeah. So it's just a starting off point, but there are great stories from people's entire lives, and even other people that I've met. Um, and I don't meet a ton of people, but some people I've met have been like, you know, I think about the stories in my life, and I think about old friends from those questions while I'm listening, and and that's kind of the idea, right? Is to to reminisce really about this stuff. So I'm glad that's doing that for people. And uh, it's funny, I went out last night to uh, one of my uh, guests' uh, album release parties. His name's Joe McLeod, and he's such a genuine dude. But uh, one of his friends that he talked about in his episode was there. <laughs> and I've, I've met guests in person before, but I've never met a character from one of their stories in person. Yeah, her name's Erin. Uh, she's really cool. And so um, she flew in from like Canmore for the show, Canmore, Alberta. Uh, which is huge. It's like a four hour flight, but mm. um, she, yeah. So she was really nice. And she was like, yeah, I heard his episode, but I actually had heard of your podcast 
before oh, like her friend dope. was on it uniquely and i was like what the fuck like you know, it's not like you know uh like a music show this is kind of how i describe it sometimes like podcasting is great because you're like your voice is getting out to a bunch of people mm -hmm. but you never see those people mm. you know it's not like you go to a concert there's 300 people in the room um and you're like holy shit you know but if you look at your downloads and you have 300 people at the end of the month who listen to your podcast you're like i don't know 300 people who the fuck is listening like i wish i could see these people because i want to feed off of them but sometimes those numbers are just just enough like it's fantastic that people listen it's it's almost weird sometimes yeah and it's, i love it yeah. for me like part of it too is like the unintended uh consequences maybe the collateral damage where you mm -hmm. actually have a positive impact on somebody that you will never meet or you will never cross paths with but something one of your guests said or something you we're able to pull out of somebody else, you know, will actually make a tangible difference in this person's life. That's like, for me, like sometimes in my, uh, my nighttime thoughts, you know, that little period where you're just about to go to sleep, you know, something like that will pop in my head. And it's kind of, it's sort of wild to think about, you know, that you could be taking time and effort and putting this out and you actually make a positive impact on somebody else. It's wild. Yeah. I mean, I, I spoke with a disabilities advocate called her name's Ardra Shepard and uh, she's an MS advocate and uh, she's an incredible person. She's a fantastic writer and um, you know, you just, you learn more about their perspective. Now, like, so I had her on because number one, I respect her and I, I like what she does, but my, my wife uh, has MS as well. Um, and that's how I found out about her. My, my wife knew her um, before I did. So introduced me to her anyways. But you just gain a different perspective. So every time you meet someone, you have a different perspective, whether it's on friendship, whether it's someone, something that they struggle with. Um, another friend of mine, his name's Jaffer. He, we're like friends now. We did this interview. I didn't really know him before, but we did the interview for, for my show. And, you know, I've been to a couple of his concerts. We've gone out to dinner together. Uh, I learned more about his life. You know, he worked in journalism and now he works in like nonprofit sector and things like that. And um, he's consistently bringing things up. He's a, he's Iraqi. So I get to hear about his perspective growing up in London, England mm. as an Iraqi kid. Um, and we sort of share a somewhat of a, sort of a, yeah shared experience mm. but again a totally different perspective on most things and um yeah i think i'm like f selfishly it's an enriching experience to talk to so many people yeah you like become a better human with every conversation i can't believe you said that yeah. i've literally thought of that phrase yeah. so many times in the last two weeks being a better human being yeah yeah, yeah not a better Absolutely. man not a better woman not a better um american or canadian just a better human right we all yeah. share almost the exact same dna right we are all so similar inside and there's only one human race dude yeah you know that's it you know so. <laughs> supposedly there's this experience that like all astronauts have that once they get up in space and they look back at the earth you know and it's the size of a marble that they all have this sense of um connection to all people right we're we're not like all these separate nations. We're not all these, I mean, we are complex creatures, but we're all essentially the same. You know, we have wants and feelings and thoughts. And uh, there's like this, supposedly like this very distinct feeling in this way that uh, I'm not going to say all of them, but a lot of them change. And when they come back, you know, they 
feel more connected to everybody else. And I'll tell you what, having these conversations with people have done that for me um, in spades, like to be able to understand people and their motivations and um, how people are not so different from me or very different from me in uh, these obvious ways, but in certain ways we're, you know, just the same. It's so um, enriching. I don't know. I don't know. Just, it makes me better, better, tiny little bits all the time. And I love it. I think the whole idea is to keep talking to one another. Yeah. <laughs> like we've, we've been isolated for so long for the last two years, whatever, in various situations. But, uh, and we talk to our very close friends. Like my parents are still friends. Close- my parents are still friends with the exact same people they've been friends with since high school. And that's great. But speaking to new people all the time is a very good way to gain way different perspective than you see. It opens up like a good version of Pandora's box, right? So to speak. So it just opens up. Yeah. A whole new perspective and you can see the world completely differently and you will be more compassionate. The compassion part of it, I think, yeah, it really gets highlighted when you start talking to new people. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and and more empathetic. You know, like mm. I um, now I've learned to approach people with curiosity. Right? Don't make assumptions. Don't assume positive intent. Uh, don't assume malicious intent. Just come with curiosity. I love that. Right? Ask questions. People want to talk to you for the most part. They want, you know, people's favorite subject is themselves and they are more than happy generally to to tell you about that. Well, I mean, there's a few that are, you know, a vault, but <laughs> you know, for the most part, people, you know, and while we're talking about this, listening to your podcast, it is indistinguishable from me when you're talking to your friends or a complete stranger. I can't tell the difference. Oh man, I appreciate that so much. The way you approach people, it is just, it is so congenial, (laughs) so smooth. I don't know if you're like a duck on the, on the surface, you're smooth and on the bottom, your, your feet are going like crazy, but, uh, it's very polished and warm. And I appreciate that about every one of your podcasts that it just, it seems like you really put folks at ease. And I think that's a, a true gift. I don't know if that's a talent that you had to work at or if it was uh, uh, just in you from the beginning. But, uh, man, it's uh, it's awesome thing to see. I, I mean, I've always loved hanging around with people. So, you know, whether it's at parties or, like I said, I worked with my friend Daniel for several years. We worked in the same truck together. So, um, but being close with, like, yeah, different people and, and gaining that insight, um, just keep talking. Just keep talking. I know people are, like, in, in you know, introverts, and that's totally valid. Um, but yeah, the interaction with new people, different people consistently doing that sort of stuff. Um, it's certainly helped. Um, yeah, I, I, I love it. Thank you for saying that. I, 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 I do have a lot of anxiety actually. Usually when uh, I'm talking to people, I have like a little squishy thing that my wife like made. Uh, it's just like a little bag of rice, but I'm like doing, I'm like, uh, sort of fumbling with it in my hands because otherwise I'd be moving and um, twitching and doing all sorts of things uh, from nervous energy. But um, yeah, I really appreciate that. Uh, it must be the editing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, you uh, slow your voice way down so you don't sound so uh, <laughs> manic. No, no, man. Like uh, we're right here at time and I'm, I'm going to ask you, you know, like how people can interact with you in just a minute. But um there you contain multitudes there's a bunch of stuff we didn't give the touch you know you're um you know the way you're a caretaker for your wife you getting 
you know, you're mm. being a bass player, all the tattoos and that relationship with you and how much that means to you. So, um, I would say I would impress upon everybody listening that you do touch upon these things a little, a little more mm. of Alex comes out in each one of these episodes, which I also love. <laughs> I don't like just hearing, uh, one side of the story. I love to hear a conversation. So you're really good at that too. So I would definitely say, um, I, I know we didn't get to touch upon it here. That's totally okay. Cause I wanted this to go whichever direction you wanted it to. And uh, <laughs> I can come back. I really enjoyed myself. <laughs> and you made me feel super comfortable. And I love your voice, dude. <laughs> you have a great voice. Great voice. I I don't know, man. Like, uh, it makes me wonder. I've heard other people say that. I, uh, to me, I don't know. It's just, it's the voice in my head. It makes me wonder, do you think Morgan Freeman thinks his voice is just another voice? Or do you think he hears and he's like, man, I am a badass? <laughs> no, he talks like that for a reason. Because he likes to... <laughs> To, to hear himself speak morgan but, uh, freeman morgan freeman yeah i like it always makes me wonder like does he love the sound of his own voice like because it's like i mean it's i don't know you know i think if if you've never experienced asmr just you know put your earbuds in and listen to morgan freeman oh, I'll be, I, I have to disagree on is i i'm not a huge fan of asmr me neither like but when it comes to like you know eating fucking bananas and shit i don't get it oh yeah but if it's like somebody's voice like yeah morgan freeman Seth Rogen, there's just like these really unique voices out there that I do like really love to hear. And it's it's nice. It's like, you know, when the dude like the Big Lebowski sits in his uh, in his apartment and he's listening to the bowling pins um, on his headphones, on his Walkman. I could just do that with some like voiceover artists. Um, and that's another reason, you know, I do this, too. I really just love practicing what my voice sounds like. I know it sounds like thing. Here's the thing. There's a reason I edit it. I edit my podcast because <laughs> I tell a lot of the same stories to people. Um, is of like my own stories. I keep in the new ones. That's why it sounds like it gets more evolved. But it's like, um, yeah, I just I do like hearing people's voices and I like the interaction that that I get to have. I've done sixty, almost sixty interviews. Wow. Um, in. Uh, I think what just came out, number 53, episode 53 is coming out this week. Um, and I've done that in like 55 weeks. Um, so it's it's hectic. I'm actually going to like slow it down pretty really soon. Really hectic, because, yeah. Uh, it's, it's taking over, as you know, it takes over a large part of your life. But I mean, yeah, I don't know. I just, I like talking to people and I like hearing people's stories. And it's practice for me to listen. I mean, you can hear and people who have listened to this entire podcast can hear how much I talk. So it's good practice for me to sit down and listen to people. <laughs> is my podcast, so. Well, you know, I, I noticed when you were, when you were telling me your story, you were telling me about, um, you know, your career and the, the traffic stuff and how all that sort of transpired. And you really lit up when you were talking about your time in the UK and it was all about discovery. So even if you were doing a mundane task, it was the discovery. It was the new thing you were going to find, you know, it was the new experience mm. you were going to have. And it sounds like you're sort of getting that through the podcast, right? You're finding that discovery through these people, you know, the the new thing. What am I going to learn from them? You know, like what interesting thing is going to come out of this? So it sounds like you're still getting your adventures. Uh, you're just finding a different outlet for it. And I think it's it's really cool because it's a shared experience now, right? It's not something just for you now, kind of everybody else gets a taste of that too. And I, I love people that are out there collecting stories for everybody else oh yeah thanks man i i mean 
this is a pretty cool podcast too. And and uh, I know we talked about Rocky before, and she's fantastic. But you always learn. I mean, it's a platform. You're giving me a platform. She's had a platform, mm -hmm. uh, and you give that to people, and they they eat it up because it's a chance for them to give their listeners or or you know whatever people that engage with them another side of themselves. Yeah. Um, so it's not like a, a musician going on a musician's podcast and talking about being a musician. You know what you're going to get. But a musician going on a podcast about friendship mm. are going to talk about their own friendships and their experiences. And that's a side you might not get in a in a different sort of interview, right? Or an article about them or something. So that's another reason I kind of focus on friendships as well. It gives people, it's a totally different dimension that you don't really get to hear about a lot. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I dig it. I mean, it's such a, a simple but effective concept. Works really well. Thanks. All right, man. Well, Thanks, dude. I have consumed way too much of your time. I, I always say that I try and be <laughs> respectful of time, and I was absolutely not today, so I apologize. So, Oh, don't sweat it, man. I enjoyed it. Uh, people that want to interact with you, um, obviously, they're going to find social animals. They're going to they're gonna hit that up. Mm. How else would you have them? You know, like if they want to, like, message you or, you know, follow you somewhere, how would you have them do that? Yeah, so like Insta I use Instagram uh, to put up ads every week for the podcast. So Social Animals Podcast. Um, if you want to send me an email, um, it's socialanimalspodcast at gmail.com. If you want to be on the show, you can, you know, tell me what you, th what you think of it or whatever. If you think you know someone who might have great stories, hit me up there. Um, and uh, socialanimals.ca is the website and there's a contact form there. So feel free to come on that and you can listen to the podcast there. You can subscribe on the website. Um, you can find out about my friends who helped me build the show. So my wife built the website. Uh, my tattooist friend, um, Jacqueline, she did the artwork. My friend Mike did the theme song and my friend Soren does some other musical work as well. And you can find out everything you need to know and hopefully I'll have some transcripts there eventually. Um, but yeah, getting in touch, socialanimals.ca. That's cool, man. I love all those shout outs. It sounds like it, uh, takes a village to raise a podcast. Dude, it's ridiculous, it's ridiculous. <laughs> but I, I, I love them for everything they've done and they're fantastic at what they do. Those people. So yeah, um, use the website and you'll be, um, giving credence to them for sure. All right. Imagine that a uh, guy with a podcast mm. about friends has some really good friends that he shouts out. <laughs> <laughs> who, who would think? That, yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to hit stop, Alex. Thank you so much for joining me.